with your powers combined, we are fan holes. Go, go, go fan can't believe there's a chat room big enough to hold all of our present bodies. Wow. <laughs> of all the things I missed about the show, I miss Tony being wrong always. We've already got a me. We don't need another me. <laughs> oh boy, a Bashir episode. <laughs> uh, ah yes, Derek. Lover of lobster women. Defender of Starfire's fidelity. I just want to know, who is the consultant? <laughs> no, I have no eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody can relate to a, a talking cat that eats lasagna. I'll okay. do it, but I want to be immediately killed afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Derek, in your Derek lair, do you have a list of that tells you like how to take down the other fan holes? Should we like go crazy? <laughs> how does my stupid voice sound? You sound beautiful. Like ten times sexier. Good job. No one gets us because we don't explain it. From a relaxing vacation on Earth. Greetings, Captain. I do not think you realize the gravity of your situation. <laughs> to the most perilous reaches of space. Only one crew dare travel where no man has ever gone before. We'll need all the power you can muster, mister. On a desolate planet, a renegade Vulcan seeks ultimate knowledge. To find it, we'll need a starship. And he will stop at nothing to get it. I dreamt that a madman had taken over the Enterprise. <laughs> you look like you've just seen a ghost. Perhaps I have, Captain. Our destination is the planet Shakari, Eden, at the center of the galaxy. The center of the galaxy can't be reached. If you ask me, and you haven't, I think this is a terrible idea. We're bound to bump into the Klingons. Remain on course. To Kirk, he's a fanatic to be fought. You know we'll never make it through the Great Barrier. I say that danger is an illusion. To the crew, he's a mystic to be followed. Cyborg has simply put us in touch with feelings that we've always been... I have to get back to the transporter. To Spock, he's the past he must confront. Shoot him! You know. Spock, my only concern is getting the ship back. And you're either with me or you're not. Put him in the brig with Captain Kirk. I'm a prisoner on my own ship. What are you standing around for? Do you not know a jailbreak when you see one? Mr. Scott, you're amazing. There's nothing amazing about it. I know this ship like the back of my hand. Emergency channel open. A hostile force has taken control of our vessel. Put us on a direct course with the Great Barrier. Understood, Enterprise. We are dispatching a rescue ship immediately. Bird of prey bearing 105, Mark 2. Let me do something. Mr. Sulu, full ahead. Transfer power to warp drive. Warp speed now. The greatest Enterprise of all is adventure. Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. I just want to know, what does Derek need with the podcast? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> it's Why like, is Derek angry? It's like, <laughs> don't you know? Aren't you Derek? <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys. Welcome back 
to another trekkerific row, 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 row your boat episode of Fan Holes Podcast. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm going to be one of your bourbon and beans hosts tonight, and I am joined around the campfire. We're all making marshmallows as we speak by two, count them, two of my fellow fan holes. I've always known, guys, that I'll die alone, so I know I'm not going to die yet because you guys are here with me. So give a shout out and let everybody know who's here tonight. Derek and Justin, an explosive combination. (laughs) Yes, it's Mike. This is Justin, and I know this podcast like the back of my hand. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so we are we are here for the the 30th anniversary. Notice a pattern here, guys. We are here for the 30th anniversary of Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. This was a feature film directed by our man Bill Shatner that came out in 1989. And this was, this was like a summer of sequels and, and epic blockbuster movies that it's kind of pointed to as, as the beginning of the summer blockbuster in some way, I guess. I mean, I know, I know people talk about, you know, Jaws was the blockbuster because, you know, people waited around the block, you know, in a line and all that other stuff. But it seems like this was one of those things where you just had back to back to back to back things that were expected to be you know, major hits, and in some cases they were, in some cases they weren't. I mean, we'll, we'll get into the details about this. I, I don't know that we necessarily need to synopsize Star Trek V. I mean, just go watch Star Trek V. I guess I'm kind of curious, like, I, I know this this essentially is, is just one of Justin's babies. You know, the, this was kind of like Justin wanted to, to discuss a lot of the films, you know, the anniversaries of, of a lot of these Star Trek films. And so I guess I just ask him, like, you know, maybe when the first time he encountered this film and like, you know, maybe go into like, you know, you know what it means to him and and kind of why he wanted to single this film out other than, you know, maybe the the 30th anniversary aspect. I, I don't remember the exact first time I watched this. I do remember that summer. I wanted to go watch it, but I didn't get to. I mean, like you said, there were so many movies coming out that year. I also wanted to see Batman and Ghostbusters 2. And out of those three films, I only got to watch Ghostbusters 2. So that's probably why I have a lot of affection for that movie. But I've talked about that before. But um, Star Trek V is kind of an odd duck. I know that um, you know when um, Mike Stoklasa of Red Letter Media was doing his – next generation reviews and critiquing those films like he kind of mentioned that he likes all the original series films including one and five and i kind of agree with him which i think star trek five is the weakest of the original cast films but i still kind of appreciate it and i know one night off air derek tony and i were kind of discussing star trek five and i was kind of pondering out loud you know, do I give this film a pass because it's the original crew? Like, I'm pretty critical of the Next Generation films. Like, to be honest, I only really enjoy First Contact. But, like, Star Trek V and then, you know, Star Trek and Mission Picture, like, I kind of give those a pass. Like, there's things – I mean, there's things in Star Trek V I can really appreciate. Like, I I definitely see its flaws. It's got some really bad special effects. The script is not so great, which, to be fair, there were – 
extenuating circumstances for those two. But yeah, I I don't know. It's it's an odd film. It's Star Trek Four was so successful at the box office, and a lot of that is due to the the humor throughout the film. So of course, the Larrys at Paramount decided. Oh, well, Star Trek Five. Okay, Larry, like we're gonna make this one funny too, and there there are humorous moments in it, but it's I don't know. Like I I think the campfire row 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 your boat scenes, like those are kind of endearing, but some of the other stuff I think doesn't quite work. And then I think they really needed to give the script a a second, third, maybe even a fourth pass to like work out some stuff. I don't know. Like there, there's lots of flaws in it, but I kind of, I wonder if like it wasn't a Star Trek film, would I still be able to give it a pass? And I kind of, I don't think I would. I think just because it's like, you know, it's another adventure with the original series crew. Like I kind of give it a pass and I'm able to like enjoy it, even though there's, What's the weird and dumb moments? I mean, Spock like uses the Vulcan ner- nerve pinch on a horse. Like, come on, <laughs> like that's. And then you know, th- there's like Uhura's like weird fan dance, which always, I don't know. Even as a little kid, I was just like, but she's like, she's old. <laughs> like, what? I don't know. I don't get it. Like, they've got a cat lady at their bar, and they're just like, uh, like they're all about Uhura, and they get trapped like a bunch of dummies. <laughs> I don't know. They just, I- I'll stop rambling. Like, I kind of, I'm curious about like. You know, Mike and Derek saw it's like Derek, you know, not to like um, beat a dead horse, but like since you're older than me, like, did you see this in the theater? I did. I absolutely. Yeah, I absolutely saw this in the theater. Like I I probably saw this more than once in the theater. So Hmm. like because I from what I from my recollections are I saw this in and this will only make sense to people who are local to my area. But I, I remember I saw it at Newark like the theater that was close to the new park mall that doesn't exist anymore. And I also saw it in Hayward in a theater that doesn't exist anymore. So like I, I have specific memories of going to see it, you know, more than once with like different sets of friends and stuff like this. I kind of feel like I'm, I'm trying to piece it together. It wouldn't make sense because it was 1989. I wonder if like, if it was because people dropped us off or something like I, I just, I have a feeling like this was like one of the first Star Trek films I didn't necessarily see with all my parents, if that makes any, you know how like normally, I don't know, for me, like at certain ages, uh, you know, it's like, I, I remember, you know, with, with say like, you know, Batman or Ghostbusters 2 or, you know, these other movies that came out and, you know, Indiana Jones, you know, maybe I went and saw it with a friend and my mom, or I went and saw it with you know, a couple friends and my dad or, you know, so, or, or maybe I went and saw it with some friends and their dad or their mom or, you know, something like that. But for some reason, I feel like maybe like by this point, like, you know, we were just, you know, oh, yay, Star Trek. And we wanted to see it again or something like I, I, I just I feel like I went and saw it specifically at New Park Mall with like, you know, friends or whatever or something like that. And then my distinct memory about that is even though I know the Jerry Goldsmith theme or whatever is, is, you know, largely associated with Star Trek, the motion picture, I think by this point, like Star Trek, the next generation really owned that theme. And, Mm -hmm. and there was that weird, there, there were a couple weird notions where when, when that plays at the end of this film, you kind of went, huh? Like that, it's interesting like when you look at the the way the theatrical trailers 
are presented because they have all the James Horner music from like the the second and third films. So you you get a vibe of like you know the 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 seriousness of Khan and Kruge, but then the tone of the film, like you say, has more of the the Larry mandated. Don't you know a jailbreak when you see one? But then you've got, <laughs> but then you've got like the James Horner like playing in the background with that in the trailer. So you're like, is this serious or is this funny? Like you don't, you don't really know. And the other thing I remember was, I, I mean, I, I thought I was old at the time, but you know, this this little kid was probably you know, I don't know, three or four or something like that. And he was there with his mom to see the film when we went to see it in, in, uh, in the new park mall or whatever. And like my thought of it is, and I'm, I'm saying like, I was like this elderly kid or whatever. I was like 10 or something. I don't know, 10 or 11. <laughs> but, but to me, I felt like I was way older than this kid, but the, the kid was like the only star Trek he knew was Picard and Riker mm. and Data and Worf and you know so so this little kid he's like well we're seeing like he was a little confused he's like we're seeing Star Trek but like where's where's Star Trek you know like like he didn't know like who are these old guys like what what are we watching mom like he didn't understand like and and the mom's like oh well these are you know this is the crew before the the ones that you you know you watched you know and that kind of thing and she's trying to explain it to him so I I remember there was that interesting like disconnect or or maybe a generational gap that was starting to take place you know because a lot of even in some of the the press interviews there were people that were saying you know it's this is called the final frontier like is this is this going to be the last round of, of I remember you know, that yeah that that kind of thing for the crew and 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 this this will be all timey wimey probably so so maybe I'll be speaking about this before you hear my rant about this in other shows or whatever but this film because of its and I'm going to say quote unquote perceived poor performance cuz um, you know you know what I don't get like okay the formula today is supposed to be two and a half times your budget, right? Like, I think back then it probably would have been two times your budget or, you know, something, something like that, right? Like, and I'm just sitting there going, well, it made, it made its budget back plus its budget. Like, so I, I'm hard pressed to say that's a failure, but the problem is, the projected analysis for it, because Star Trek Four, as you mentioned, did so well. Like Star Trek Four cost less money than Star Trek Five by like I don't know ten or thirteen million dollars, but yet it made uh, like probably twice as much as Star Trek Five. Like it made like I don't know one hundred eighteen million you know, worldwide or some, something like that. Right. It was a, it was a huge movie. I I'm guessing at that point, it was probably the hugest opening or, or gross for, for a Star Trek film or whatever. Right. And that's why the Larry's are all, Oh, we gotta, we gotta reproduce that. You know, like, you know, like let's, let's, let's have the funny and they'll be in a, you know, they'll be doing this in the camp and then Scotty hits his head and then, Oh, and, <laughs> and then, you know, there'll be all this, da, 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 you know, and, and whatever. Right. So that's why, that's why you had like the, the, you know, Oh, and then, and then Sulu and, and, and Chekhov, they're going to get lost in Mount Rushmore and it's going to be hilarious. You know, like whatever, but anyway, the point is they were trying to reproduce that success, and since that didn't happen, and the projected analysis 
of what it was. I mean, I don't know, man. The projected analysis seems super optimistic. Like, like if you read like some of these like articles now, like I don't know if, if Wikipedia is blowing smoke up my ass because I'm still convinced. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids came out way before Batman, but according to Wikipedia, they came out on like the same weekend, which I don't, I don't believe is true. But you know, that's just a sidetrack. But the, the the projected analysis, I think, on according to Wikipedia, said something like, "Oh, it was projected to make like two hundred million dollars," and I'm just like, <laughs> "Are are you serious?" <laughs> like, I mean, the last movie made like. I think like 118 million or I don't know, so, something. And I was like, okay, fine. If you wanted to reproduce that success, okay, fine. Like, fine, project it's going to make 120 million. And yes, that would have still been a disappointment because I think grand total only made like, I don't know, like 66 million. But you know, the other thing too is if you, I mean, you know, again, would we make all these apologies if it wasn't a Star Trek movie? I don't know, Justin, maybe we wouldn't. Maybe we would, if, if this was just Babylon 5 way back in 1989, the movie, <laughs> maybe I would have been like, oh, fuck Tron. Like, fuck that guy. He didn't make the money. Like this movie sucks or whatever. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's how I would be. Maybe not. I don't know. But since it is a Star Trek movie, I, I'll, and, and I will defend it, like, because I do, I mean, I, I don't know, maybe it's just the nostalgia feels or whatever it is, you know, the, the fact that it is Star Trek, the fact that I enjoy the camaraderie between, you know, McCoy, Kirk, and Spock. I mean, yes, this, this movie has plenty of problems. Like, there's no, there's no shortage of problems it has, but I think, I think those can sort of be explained, or at least I, I feel like I can make reasonable excuses for them. I mean, you know, reasonable excuse one is the movie that made the most money the entire summer was Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, and that opened like a couple weeks before this. So, and then it was sandwiched. I mean, it was gang banged and sandwiched in between Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, and then you had you know, Star Trek or whatever. And then you had all these other movies that made way more money than it. Batman, the 89 Batman came out after it. Uh, Ghostbusters 2 made more money than it. Ghostbusters fucking 2, Justin, made more money than <laughs> Star Trek 5. Fuck Ghostbusters 2. But anyway, it made way more money. So, so fuck me, basically. Like, you know, because it's like I'm the dumbass, right? Because it didn't make as much money as Star Trek 5. But part of that is like it got sandwiched in between all these other like summer event movies and and those all performed way as far as i can see performed way better they at least made more money than than star trek 5 i mean maybe some of those cost less to make i don't know but and and the other thing it seemed like it was plagued with i mean i, I see what you're saying like maybe somebody should have gone over the script again it seems like there were disagreements about the script to begin with i mean you had mm -hmm. you know it was in shatner's contract that if he did Star Trek four, he was going to get to direct Star Trek five. And then they, they upheld that end of the bargain. But then there were these disagreements of, you know, Oh, well you want to do what? Like tell a story about God, like, and, and Roddenberry didn't like it. And some of these other Larry's didn't like it, but he, he pushed on and said, no, this is going to be interesting. Like I have this vision, I got this idea. And eventually he, he sold it to enough of the, the Larry's where it was like, okay, so we're going to do this vision. But then it seemed like, like, somewhere along the way, I don't know, it just seemed like certain people either didn't have his back, or, or whatever was written on the script, like, maybe people didn't exactly read it? Because, like, I mean, I, I guess, I don't know, I, I, I feel like I should probably put a pin in that, because I, I, I kind of wanted to, and, and, you know, I got caught up in talking and everything, but I, I kind of want to go into, like, Mike's initial thoughts and how he 
came across Star Trek V? Because I know, I know you, you've always said, like, you were kind of watching The Next Generation, I assume, at this point in time. Like, but did you, was this something you came to later, Mike? Like, on, on, like, home video or whatever? Is this something you did get to see in a theater? Like, how did you come to Star Trek V as far see, as that goes? This, this is why I'm a valued perspective on Star Trek shows, because I have no nostalgic feelings for this movie whatsoever. <laughs> okay, so I okay. am not I am not like, you know, apt to defend it or whatever. So but um, this is rewatching it this week. This is only the second time I've ever seen it. OK. And like it was initially like when we had our very first Star Trek show, I think I told you guys, oh, I saw like I think two out of the six uh, original okay. Star Trek movies. And this was not one of them. And then, um, like a couple years after that, I just happened to come across this one, like on TV and it was like the first 10 minutes of the movie. So I said, Oh, you know what? I haven't seen this one, so I'll watch it. So that was like the first time I watched it, which that would, that would have probably been maybe like six or seven years ago. Yeah. But, uh, no, this is the second time I watched it. Um, and like, I mean, aside from like, you know, we, us like joking about it, like obviously like Tony doing his, you you know and whatever right right and like the only other things i've ever heard about this movie like before like prior to watching it or you know just hearing in general was oh that's the one like shatner directed and like some people will go as far and be like hard like as harsh as saying oh that's the like shatner vanity project one or whatever yeah and i mean i can kind of see that and like i know i read like like shatner's original idea for it was that like it would be like Kirk on his own. Like everyone would be with Cybok. Right, right, yeah. Like, you know, even McCoy and Spock would be with him. And then like, I like DeForest Kelly and like Leonard Nimoy was like, fuck no, we're not going to look like assholes like, or whatever. Like, and, and like, that's why like, it isn't like that. But like, I, I don't know. Like I, I think this movie's all right, but I think it's certainly one of the weakest ones, like if not the weakest one. And like, I don't know. Yeah, there's there's a lot of like you'll probably get into it, but there's a lot of like when when I say that, like, you know, people see it as a Shatner vanity project. I, I like I can kind of like, you know, the, I think there are things in this that kind of hurt the movie and in, in terms of like that where. You know, like it starts off with, you know, Shatner climbing the mountain or whatever. And like, I think the only thing I know about that is like the hilarious like YouTube parody, like techno song about Shatner. Oh, make, like, make love to the mountain. Yeah, making love to the mountain. Like he wants to envelop the mountain. Make love to the mountain. The original, even the original interview for that. You know what though? Shatner's a, like, I just gotta say, in those interview clips, like Shatner's the consummate fucking professional because because he's he's in yosemite right giving all these interviews and that's fine that he's saying all this goofy zen shit about you know what does a climber want to do like the climber wants to it's like a living being even though it's rock and it's not alive but it's living and it wants to wants to hug the mountain it wants to make love to the mountain and he's going through all this other stuff but then they ask him like other questions about other stuff you know because they're talking about how how basically most people don't get to film in yosemite like movies and stuff like that. But Yosemite was so tickled by the idea that it would still be around like 400 years from now that, that that was a good thing. So they let them film at the the park and everything. The thing that I love about one of those, like it's all the same interview shot and he's sitting there, you know, talking about how he's afraid of heights and how they do the, the mountain tricks and all this other stuff. And they're bringing in the wall and all this other stuff. And while he's doing that, 
there are like these flies like like that are coming around and stuff and like dude like most people would be like get out of my fucking face fly and they they get sidetracked in the middle of what they're doing but what i love about him is he's the consummate professional like like there's a fly like straight up on his mouth and nose and stuff and he kind of you know he he shoes it away but but when he when he puts his hand up to his face he gesticulates and makes it a part of like his little speech or whatever so it's like instead of it just being like you know fucking fly let's cut and redo this he's just like gets rid of the flies like we'll make love to the mountain we'll we'll do this and that and we'll bring in the wall and we'll climb up the wall and i have you know i'm afraid of heights and all that other stuff so i don't know like i i yeah i'm i'm totally biased i mean i'm i'm i I, and i recognize that i think my argument for those kind of things is like okay i will give you that this may be you know, one of the weakest of the original series films, but I will put weak Star Trek up against like, I don't know, like weak romantic comedies or, or weak, you know, I don't know, action films or whatever, like any, any fucking day of the week. Like I, I'd, I'd rather watch, you know, Star Trek five than, than some shitty romantic comedy or some shitty action movie or something that's like completely you know, unwatchable, you know? So to me, like, yeah, okay, it's unfair. I'm putting like, you know, something, you know, comparing apples and oranges. But if you're going to say like, you know, what's, what's the weakest film in, you know, I don't know, you can, you can make it a big, hairy, crazy battle, but it's like, what, you know, what's the weakest film in the Marvel franchise? What's the weakest film in the Star Wars franchise? What's the weakest film in, you know, whatever fucking franchise there is, you know, it's like, you know, I don't know. I'd rather watch Star Trek five than, than fucking, uh, the dream child. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I'm just, I'm throwing shade. I, I love Freddie too, but you know, you know what I mean? Like, like there's, there's things like that where I, I kind of say, Hey, what, you know, at, at least this is to me, like one, this is better than that. I, I think my other apology for it would be, I think th- the aspect that Justin talks about that needed to go, the script needed to be reviewed. Like this script like was just written as if they were making a movie about the TV show back in the sixties. Like if you could somehow like wave your magic Harry Potter wand and get like Nichelle Nichols at like, you know, 28 or whatever, when, you know, Dr. King was talking to her and all that other stuff. And if you could get Shatner like pre season three, like pre Spock's brain and all this other stuff. And, do this whole movie, like, like even, I, I'm just going to say it, like, even the, the, the movie adaption, like, draws them all younger, like, than they are on film, and, and that's the way the script is written, like, I mean, they're, to me, they're doing things that they probably couldn't normally do, is that vanity, or is that just, like, I don't know, this, I don't know, the, the sort of, I'm trying to think of the right word, but, like, this, obliviousness to to the actual age of the cast like just p- trying to play it off and treat them like like how you would treat ca- you know like a I don't know, like, like characters that don't age, like in comics, like Batman and Superman are perpetually 30. I think whoever wrote this, like, was treating Kirk as if he was going to be 30 for fucking ever, whereas, like, Wrath of Khan actually acknowledged that the characters were aging because the actors were aging in real time and made that a part of the script. And that, that's something that goes back to, I mean, maybe Justin's, you know, 
grounded criticism of like, you know, maybe there should have been a look over and said, Hey, you know, maybe, maybe some of this stuff doesn't work, you know? And, and, and I think they even said, Oh, well, you know, the Uhura thing came up as a joke, but they took the guy literally somehow. And then, and then somebody must've, you know, I don't know if it was Michelle Nichols or whoever got, got into it or got off on it, but they, they seem to be all about that. Whereas you're kind of like, I, I agree with the criticism. I'm kind of like, what are you talking about? Grandma's going to seduce like this army? <laughs> like, like, you know, and, and, and then, and then there's a valid point. You got a three titty fucking Mares tiger girl in the other room. Like, wait, why, you know, I, I don't know. I have no, and, 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 the, and then the Romulan babe who clearly like she, she did a couple things that, that were, you know, TV based things. And then she went off to be like a, a hottie news anchor or something like that, I think eventually or whatever. But, I'm like, you've got, you know, some, some, some beautiful women in the film, but not, you know, not doing the Uhura, you know, <laughs> leaf dance or whatever it is. It's like, okay, you know, whatever. Like, yeah, there, there's flaws with it, you know, and, and, and you can't apologize for all of it. But I, I feel like my, my thought on it is, and, and how I try to look at it is, is if that was Nichelle Nichols back in the sixties, that scene could have worked. You know what I mean? Like, like if, if it was, if it was, you know, dashing, daring, you know, Kirk before he started wearing the, the TJ Hooker hairpiece, you know, the climb in the mountain that, that, you know, that I think that would have been just fine without people second guessing or questioning it. I mean, I think, I think a lot of the early moments work fine in this and, and you can tell that they had the money to spend on them in the early part of the film. I think the longer you go into the film, the less and less money they had. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Like, I kind of feel bad because it seems like either either somebody wasn't reading the script. I think part of the problem is the name of it, where they called them the Rockmen. And, like, I, I feel like all that shit ended up getting cut, not only because they didn't have the money, but because of, you know, how they were referred to. I mean, maybe, maybe if somebody had the foresight to call them the Magma Men or the Molten Men or or some shit, you know, like, cause it seems like, it seems like somehow somewhere along the way, you know, Shatner's like, well, we got to have these rock men or the Larry's were like, yeah, we got to have the rock men and they're, they're going to be fabulous. And Kirk's going to beat up all the rock men and it's going to be great. And then the designers went and drew some shit and all they heard was rock men. And then they spent like $350,000 on this rock man suit. And all it is, is like a, I mean, you know, it's a really Hollywood expensive super Sentai fucking monster. You know, like it, it's, it's like, um, the, the Ben Grimm from the Roger Corman, fantastic four or whatever, where it's like, it looks, it looks pretty decent, I suppose, but you have to do a lot of lighting, a lot of practical stuff. And, and Shatner's attitude was, where's the magma? Where's the flames coming out of, it, out of its mouth? And everybody's like, well, we can't do that. And it's like, then what the, like, didn't, you know, it's the same question that Justin has about the script. Like, didn't anybody think about this, like, before you spent all the money on it? And it was like, nope, they were probably too busy allocating, you know, 50000 of that, 350000 to their Coke slush fund or whatever the fuck these people <laughs> do, you know, and didn't give a shit, I, you know? I remember reading somewhere that um, instead of taking hours to set up certain scenes and shots, like, they would just do it in minutes. And I'm just like, oh, geez, like, I can't even, like, imagine what that was like. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know. I mean, some, some, I mean, I imagine that would have more of an impact on the final film than anything else. I mean, if, if the setups were quick, that probably would have put a lot less 
stress on the actors, but maybe because Shatner is an actor first in this case, like maybe he leaned more heavily towards that aspect of the project. I don't really know, Mm -hmm. but I mean, I could imagine three minute setups would have sucked for the crew. Dude, like yeah. th- th- there's a reason why those take as long as they do to set up because they're trying to get like a good shot and they're trying to you know do the cinematography and the lighting and all this other stuff. So I mean, there's there's usually reasons why those take as long as they do and why it's a hurry up and wait type scenario. I mean, so that that's that's my only speculation about it is is you know who knows maybe you know given Chatner's background you know maybe he's more of an actor's director and they they did you know in some of the behind the scenes thing they did sort of go into the whole you know like he wasn't into standing his ground all the time on the set it seemed like i think that's why like some of these things eventually it just came to the point where it's like oh we don't have rockman or we've got a shitty rockman and it was just like all right okay i give up you know like what what you know what else was he going to do about it you know throw a hissy fit and then they weren't going to give him the money anyway like you know or 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 they were going to put a shitty rockman in it and it wasn't going to look very good like you know like so neither of those options seemed like very good as far as that goes um i guess i guess bringing up all that stuff it's interesting because if you if you look at the the dc comics adaptation of it which which i did review before we before we got on to talk about this i mean among the other things like like there there are pages and panels with the you know magma men the rock men like whatever coming up out of the ground and there's you know three or four of them like surrounding kirk and you know one of the things that spock shoots down in the bird of prey instead of just you know the 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 god light or whatever at the end of the film is is an actual like magma man that's about to like you know finally do in captain kirk right and then and then the other thing is besides the characters looking a little younger in the art and and that kind of thing um one of the other things i noticed was and i i imagine i'm gonna just take a go out on a limb and attribute this to peter david because peter david's the one who who did uh, the written adaptation of the script to the the comic version of it and you know how I, it seemed like he was trying to course correct or continuity correct, like some of the, the aspects that like, you know, the Star Trek nerds nitpick, which is, you know, at the end of the film, you know, Kirk's kind of like, you know, oh, well, I, I lost a brother once, but luckily, you know, he came back. And the whole notion is, you know, he's, he's talking about Spock. Like, you know, Spock's like a brother to him. He lost Spock in Star Trek two and, 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 you know, he's fortunate enough to get his brother back. Right. Like, and that's supposed to be like the, the happy cap, even though, you know, uh, Spock's real half brother is now, you know, gone to Shockery or wherever the hell he's gone. Right. Like he, he perished fighting the, the you God or whatever it was. There's a, uh, there's a panel that's drawn and and I'm thinking, you know, Peter David was probably writing in full script or something. And he specifically said, when Kirk looks out the window, he he makes it plural, like like he changed the dialogue a little bit to indicate I've lost brothers before. And then in the reflection of the window, instead of seeing his own reflection, it's a reflection of himself with like a mustache, which is supposed to be a reference to to George Kirk, which is his actual brother. And you know, that's supposed to be a little you know, Star Trek uber nerd continuity patch of like, hey, I know he's got a brother, you know, Peter David being probably a little swarmy or a little, you know, 
self self uh righteous or what you know like basically i'm 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 more i'm the alpha nerd more than you are you know like i i know my shit and i'm gonna i'm gonna course correct this little mistake because it's within my power to do so you know type thing but it's a cool i mean you know it's funny because there there are moments like that where you're like oh that's a that's a cool little bit because it's like unless you were actually i mean to me i don't know that that I, I can see the Larry's going, well, nobody remembers that episode from the 60s, and it changes the flow of the lines, and whatever, or who knows, maybe it was something like, you know, even Nimoy and Shatner would have said, where they're like, ah, that's too complicated, we can't talk about, he had more than one brother, and we don't even see the brother in this, and ah, you know, and they just wanted it to be straightforward, like, I lost the brother, the brother was Spock, and now I have the brother again, and everybody's happy, and we don't need to go into all this you know, continuity, you know, he's like, he's like, get a life, you know, like that, that whole SNL Shatner thing, you know, he's like, I don't, I don't remember all the minutia of the episodes or whatever, but clearly, you know, Peter David does, and he's there to hook us up if, if we're, you know, Star Trek uber nerds that remember, you know, George Samuel Kirk or whatever, you know, and, and want him to be, you know, referenced in, in some degree or what, what have you. I guess I, I I don't know like there there there's other things I can I can go into but I mean I, I guess the the only thing I wanted to emphasize was I've just always thought of this film as it's enjoyable to me um, I I do know and I recognize there's there's problems with it and everything but uh, you know even the weakest Star Trek is better than most weak films from other franchises. And on top of that, I think my my other excuse is just that, you know what, this was written for the young crew. And if I if I kind of if I squint my eyes and, and just try to pretend like it's a young hot Uhura, then the scene doesn't read as awfully as it does in actuality. And, and I think that's that's me, you know, drinking the Star Trek uh, scotch, you know, the Scotty's malt scotch, trying to like, you know, kind of make some of the, the, the less tolerable aspects of this film you know a little more digestible i guess i mean there, like i i was criticizing it but there are some really like lovely scenes in this movie too like i think you know when cybok makes you know mccoy and spock like see their inner pain and stuff i think that's like a standout bit and uh, like i think in general like you you would think that you know Spock has a brother is a you know a good story hook or whatever you know and like he's he's different you he's different enough from spock that like you know he's a he's a distinct character and um who what's the actor's name uh lawrence luckenby was it or, yeah Luckenby. yeah like yeah he's 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 a like you know very distinct and oh, yeah uh very good performer and like he he lends the character a certain sense of uh you know presence and authority and stuff and um like i, I was just laughing because like you know, like I think uh, you joked once, Derek, that like your your when your dad would be watching Star Trek, like the movies, he you know he'd say something like, you know, if if Shatner forgets his lines, like he just says like Spock or whatever. So <laughs> yeah, there is there, like, there is I, some I kind of there is some just, good good Spocking in this film, you know. Yeah, I was like, I was thinking of that, and then I was also like, you know, he's like Cybok and Spock, like yeah, Cybok, yeah, let's yeah. follow Spock and Spock. Come with me. We'll stop Cybok. I think I think like, the best I think the best Spocking moment in this is when when they they beam him off from the planet after after the bird of prey shot it, and he, and he thinks he's captured by the Klingons, and then and then he's like, uh, you, you know, my my junior. 
colleague has something he wants to say to you and the guy's like i apologize you know whatever and then and then it's like meet our new gunner and when, when the, the klingon chair turns around he's like spock you know like that's that's i think the ultimate in spocking like <laughs> ultimate if, if you if you if you uh if you go to the webster's dictionary on spocking like that's that's what comes <laughs> up like spock you know <laughs> I mean, there's there's plenty of it in the motion picture, but but I think I think this one is also expertly, you know, a Spock. I was also thinking, and it's not the same thing, but I was just also like thinking when I watched this movie, like someone complaining, like 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 it was like R two D two or something. Like, when did Spock have rocket boats? I mean, I know, I know it's just a thing that like, you know, is in this movie and it's like a, you know, it, it's a plot, it's a Chekhov's gun that they actually come on, come back to use, you know, and stuff. But I don't know. It's just, it seemingly comes out of nowhere, like almost. Well, at least, at least Spock can, you know, put them on and take them off. Whereas R2-D2, like conceivably they were part of his mechanical design from before we ever saw them. So that just leads to all kinds of. Like, horrible questions, as in, like, why didn't you use those in these other movies if you always had them? Don't you seem like a jerk for not using them? It's not like, it's not like Spock was wearing them, like, back in the motion picture, and you're like, why does he have to put on that orange jumpsuit if he's got them boots? You know, like, like, where you're, like, scratching your head, but, you know, clearly Yeah, no, no, I I was just joking about it, but, like, yeah, that's, it's funny. It's just, it's like, sometimes, like, 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 you know, Kirk's like climbing, you know, like a mountain in Yosemite Park or whatever. And that's like a real like, you know, uh, an Earth landmark that, you know, people would recognize and stuff. But then like you've got and it, like sometimes Star Trek is like, you know, it's the future. But like this particular area is kind of exactly like the past was. Mm. But then you have like Spock with like his rocket boots, like in Yosemite Park or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. It's like the future. Yeah. And McCoy's looking with his viewfinder or whatever. Come out. Damn irresponsible. (laughs) (laughs) Come out. Relax, they said. It's like, I'm going to have a heart attack. I watched, like, earlier this week, I watched, like, an interview with, like, Leonard Nimoy about this movie. And he was kind of like, like, you know, oh, like, uh, Bill loves to do, like, the physical stuff. And, like, you know, he, like, you know, we had to all ride horses in this movie. And and then he's like, and then we had to, like, run down that, like, quarry face or whatever. And he was like, I was afraid for, like, DeForest because, like, you know, he's like, he was, but he was, like, running down the, like, quarry face faster than I was. Oh, I know something I was going to ask you. uh, And I don't know what the answer to this may be. So it may, it may involve some discussion and it may not but justin have you ever read the novelization of star trek 5 i have not i intended to read it for this show but i just kind of (laughs) lost track of time and didn't get a chance it's like spock (laughs) that's cool um i've i've actually never read the comic either oh okay i i i I remember like because i i Pretty much, like, I, you know, obviously until IDW made one, there was no adaptation of, of Star Trek II. But, I mean, I, I remember when those comic adaptations came out, I usually ended up getting them. I, I guess that's, that's one of those, like, I don't know. I, I feel like that's those are, you know, obviously kind of a throwback. You know, it was before the age of, you know, 
instantaneous, you know, Blu-ray, DVD, streaming, home video, whatever, you know, three months later. So that there was a market for stuff like that. And I, I remember always kind of, I guess, I, I don't know. I, I usually, even if I wasn't collecting the regular like DC comics at the time, like I, I pretty much ended up buying like most of those movie adaptations, I think, just cause I, I traditionally usually enjoyed the films and then, you know, went out of my way to, to buy those. I think once, you know, kind of like what you're saying, I think once it got into the next generation stuff, I think I may have not been as um, loyal, you know, or, or what have you to, to getting those kind of but movie adaptations. Let me, let me ask you like two Star Trek experts, this, like, did they ever like explain what the God entity like was like other than just some like alien that was like, you know, manipulating people or. They do, but it's in a series of novels, so they're you know they're not like yeah, canon, that's, I, I guess. Yeah, I was I was I was expecting some like expanded universe like explanation for it, but did yeah. did you read that or? I, yeah, I did. Um, it was. I'm trying to think. It was a being from another universe that came through. I don't know. It was kind of convoluted. It seemed like he came through like the Guardian of Forever, and like. It was um this was a series of three books and they involved Q and it involved, you know, the god from Star Trek V. Um it involved the Derek, remember that episode of the original series where the Klingons are on the ship and that little ball of light makes everyone angry and fight? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It involved him and it involved another like weirdo space being. And apparently like in the past, Q was friends with all these guys and they would cause mischief. But then like, you know, Q was interested in humans and he kind of left those guys to do their own thing. And they got like sealed away or butt hurt and they were coming after Q to get revenge or whatnot. So like he, you know, the, he had a name in those books. I can't remember what it was, but like they, they kind of filled in his backstory a little bit. Basically, he came through, you know, the Guardian of Forever, which is like a time portal. He came into this universe and was causing, and then he got healed in that planet, like to keep him in there. Uh, I, I I can't remember the rest of the book. I mean, like I read those in like the late nineties, so I it's it's fuzzy. But um, most novels don't mention the events of Star Trek Five. Like you, I don't think there's any references like in any of the other movies or TV shows, like they kind of skirt around it. And I don't, maybe it's because Roddenberry always said it was apocryphal and he disapproved, but I, I don't know. I mean, you, you guys know, I don't have a high opinion of Gene Roddenberry, but whatever, like for whatever reason, they just don't reference Star Trek five very much. Like even in novels or comics, but like in, in those books, they reference the hell out of it. I, I'm curious. Is there a reason you picked your avatar as like, the laughing guy from the opening sequence. <laughs> I don't know. He's just kind of funny to me. <laughs> You're a Vulcan? Yeah. Now he kind of reminds me of like Caliban from like the X-Men or something. <laughs> but I was going to ask like you, like why is that guy so impressed by that? Or like I, do Vulcans have that good of a reputation in the galaxy or? Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to, how do I explain this? Um, well, like, you know, in the movie Spock says he's a Vulcan, he cannot lie. Like, they have that reputation as, like, you know, they're trustworthy and they don't lie, which they definitely can. They can stretch the truth, you know, like, 
there's all kinds of like instances of that. But also like in the original series, uh, there's all these weird instances where like Spock uses his mental powers to like get them out of a situation. Like there's one episode where Kirk and Spock are tied up and Spock like they the camera zooms in on his eyes and then it zooms in on the eyes of like this like chick who's kind of with their captors and they just the camera keeps going back and forth between their sets of eyes and like basically you're supposed to infer he's using some kind of Vulcan mental power to command her to untie them. And then there's another episode where they're like they're trapped in like a room or a cave or something. And so Spock puts his hands on the wall and he put uses his powers, I guess, to go through the wall to try and command someone to let them out. So, like, you know, the whole idea of Cyborg taking their pain, like, I always kind of assumed he was using his Vulcan powers to, I don't know, either lessen it or give them some kind of, like, intense therapy or something. Like, I don't know. I mean, it, it I mean, we see what he does for Spock and McCoy, but we never really see what he does for anyone else. So I'm not, I don't know. And it's weird that, like, Okay, we you know, Kirk and Spock definitely see what McCoy is going through, and I always thought that was kind of weird because we never yeah, seen like that I, I kind of I thought that was like only in McCoy's head until like 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 Kirk I think reacts to it somehow, and I'm like I was like oh they can see it like so I guess I don't know I mean Spock's only half human so I guess if I were to like try and explain it I would maybe say you know. As a, a full Vulcan, maybe Sabak is more powerful. And then there was some dialogue earlier in the movie where Spock's kind of like, oh, maybe I did see a ghost. And then he's like, oh, there was a friend at the Academy, and he was like, you know, extremely talented and a genius. So I don't know. Maybe that's how he's doing it. But I don't know. That's one of those things where it's like, if you think about it, you're like, wait, how are they seeing what he's seeing? I guess he's just projecting those thoughts into their brains. I don't know. The science of. Vulcans (laughs) makes no sense. The science of Vulcan psychic shit makes no sense. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I just like that guy's reaction where he's like, he puts his hand in front of his mouth and he's like, oh, oh, oh." and then Cybox laughing like some kind of like maniac or something. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I think that's the point where like, if you know a little bit about Star Trek, you're like, oh, this guy's. Something's off with him because Vulcans aren't supposed to laugh, and he's laughing. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Something's wrong. <laughs> so you said you watched this movie two times. Did either of those two times put you to sleep? No. At the very <laughs> least, yeah. I wasn't bored to tears yeah. or anything. Uh, you were you were not lulled there, into sleep? No. There, there were no special effects shots to like impress <laughs> anyone. <laughs> Uh, yeah, th- they, there did, were they no... didn't. They wanted to brush right past them in this movie. <laughs> like, yeah, th- there were no ten-minute-long sequences where you're just looking at stuff happen. They're just like, okay, this shot by. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, even what? At, at, even at the end, when those like giant stone pillars come up, they're just like, oh look, stone pillars. Okay, let's go. Like, yeah. Like, if we look too closely at them, we'll see they're like fiberglass or something. <laughs> they spent all their money on the giant glow ball. 
Or st- also, I was going to ask you, are Starfleet uniforms like some kind of Kevlar or something? Because both like Spock and like Kirk take like lightning bolts <laughs> from that thing and they're like totally fine. No, I, I don't. I, yeah, I don't know how they survive that. <laughs> Plot armor, I, I guess. I don't know. I mean, there there are some like types of like vests that they can wear, but I mean, they're not wearing that in those scenes. Yeah, because like even Kirk's like, oh, like oh God, <laughs> oh why, why that is God angry? Hurt. Yeah, that kind of hurt. Oh, Derek, did you know that they actually worked on an NES game for Star Trek Five, but they never released it? No, no, I had no idea. I was going to ask you guys if you had ever seen those. I, I remember seeing the ads and comics, and at first I was excited, but when I realized they weren't really articulated, like Galoob had those like sort of mm-hmm. vinyl Star Trek Five figures, and I think I think I was expecting them to be more like the Ertl toys, which for some reason like totally passed me by. So I don't think I ever knew those existed, but when I realized they weren't articulated, then I was like, I kind of poo pooed those or whatever. Yeah, I remember like wanting those. And then I remember seeing them maybe at a flea market or something. And I was just like, oh, I don't think I want these anymore. <laughs> but um, that Star Trek NES game, uh, apparently, I mean, if you believe what the Internet says, after the movie failed to meet expectations, they just scrapped it. Ah, and I see. They, I mean, it got leaked onto the Internet, so you could probably download it, but it's unfinished. Like, mm. there's no ending to the game. Um, I've never played it, but I've seen people play it on like YouTube, you know, streaming it, and uh, it looks decent. But I don't know. I kind of does Kirk fight rock trolls in it? Um, did they I get? Did they get that far? Like I remember, I think there's like errors in it because it's unfinished. Like instead of saying Scotty, they say Scotto or something mm. weird. <laughs> <laughs> Scotto knows this ship like the back of his hand. <laughs> It's like Scotty's like cousin or something. Scotto. Scotto. There, there was that like there was like that SNL bit when Pine was on like like a year or two ago when they had like Spock's cousin Spocko. <laughs> like he was just like he was just like it was like having like this fat like like goofy Spock on board and it was like Spocko like. What's going on? And like Spocko would walk in and like be and like at the end of every scene, he'd be like, now that's a Star Trek and like smile at the camera or something. <laughs> and it would, you know, it would cut back to like Keenan Thompson and he'd be like, you can see why Spocko did not last very long, like in the cast or whatever. Like, Did did we talk about how in the in the comic adaptation and the deleted scene, like one of Spock's like, you know, share your pain with me moments is that he did not run off with Cybok when he asked him to run away with him. We did not talk about that, but I've heard of that scene before. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a deleted, like if you have like the, the DVD, you know, the special edition DVD or whatever, mm-hmm. you can see that moment. I mean, it's a, it's, since it's unfinished, it's a little goofy looking where, you know, like, you know how like Lawrence Luckaby was like interacting with McCoy oh, during okay, yeah. those I, scenes. I do remember this scene now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and so there, there's that moment where he's like, come with me, Spock, we can go. And it's like, it's like, he's actually there, but it's him in the present, like reliving mm-hmm. the moment or something like that. And I guess the only reason why I wanted to bring that up was given the 
and and unfortunately, like I haven't finished watching Discovery, but um, I was thinking of the present day correspondence between that and um, Michael, like the, the like like that. It, it wasn't the same thing, but it was like that. You know that bit about you know Michael was leaving to protect the family and then little kid spot comes out. I was like, I want to go with you. And she's like, you're a fucking freak. Fuck you to like protect <laughs> him basically. Right. So, so he doesn't get, you know, caught up in, in, you know, she thought she was doing a, a selfless thing, but it actually really emotionally stunted him at, at a really young age. And I, I just, I guess watching that deleted scene today, it struck me again as like, Oh, both the Spock's like made up fucking siblings. Like, both, you know, he, he kind of wanted to run off with both of them, and both of them were like, you know, it just didn't happen for whatever reason. You know, like, I guess in the case of Cybok, he he did he refused to go, like, that was his choice, and he regretted it. And then in the other situation, it's like, he really did want to go with Michael Burnham, but the, the, he, he was not given the opportunity to do so, but I just thought it was funny, like, oh man, like, Spock's got made up siblings out the wazoo, you know, like, it's like, geez, they're, they're coming out of the woodwork, you know, <laughs> like they're talking about Spocko. Like it's like that, that literally like they're, you know, Michael Burnham and Cybok are Spocko, like, you know, literally, right. Like they, they can't come out of nowhere. And it's like, Oh, by the way, it's like, it's like that moment where Kirk's kind of like, yes, yes, yes. You know, your brother, like, like I know all Vulcans are brothers and they're like, no, 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 captain. Like, <laughs> He is my half brother, and it's like, oh, oh, okay. You never mentioned this before. You know, we've only known like each other how, like twenty-five years, but whatever. I, I like how like technical Spock is, where like like uh, Kirk says, like, you never told us you had a brother. Yeah, he's like, I do not have a brother. I have a half brother. He's like, aha, see, I was right. No, I'm not right. I need to sit down. Yeah. No, but, I mean, all that interaction. I mean, I mean, and, and you know what else, too? I mean, what that brings up is, you know, we, we at, I mean, people like Justin and myself ask, would, would we be as um, favorable if this was not a Star Trek movie? And I, I think also what I would say is you would be less favorable if it was a different uh, trinity of actors, right? Like, I mean, they all make, you know, it, it was, it was always that thing I was taught in acting school where, you know, you, you, you act for the commercial, you know, you, 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 you make the dog food great, you know, like you, you, all you have is the shitty, you know, dog food commercial. And you're the one who has to be like, you know, Beppo's dog food is the greatest rough, rough, you know, and you have to be like super excited about, even though you're like, what the fuck? Like, Beppo's dog what like you know dog food like who gives a shit about this but you have to make it like oh no I totally give a shit and it's like not only do I give a shit it's like this fucking dog food will come out and suck your dick I mean it's the greatest dog food ever (laughs) like you you have to be like it's great you know like so and you have to be like super duper enthusiastic about it you know and like and like that's I think something that all three of them you know Shatner Nemoy and Forrest Kelly bring to this film. I mean, I, I don't think without them, the film would be as strong as it is either. So, I mean, I, I think, you know, yeah, okay, there, there were problems with the budget, there were problems with the script and all that other stuff, but I think on the strength of that it's, it's a, even though it's a weak Star Trek film, it's still a good Star Trek film, and, and, and I think all three of them, you know, certainly 
hold this film to a higher standard. I think if you had a, a different set of, of actors, it might not be as well received by me either, which, which kind of goes into the notion of if it wasn't Star Trek, you know, would you, would you like this as much? And, and maybe not, you know, did they ever do anything else with Cybok? Like, I know he like kind of sacrifices himself, but does he ever come back in any like ancillary like fiction or no, not that I'm aware of. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not familiar with any return of Cyborg. Like I, I like I was thinking because like they were like when I read like a review of this movie, they were like kind of saying like you know Spock having a brother should be like huge, but like the movie doesn't always like you know lend it the proper like gravity, I guess. And then like I I think I didn't didn't like wasn't that something the executives like pushed or like someone like added it in later where they were like, well, we can't just have this dude like he's got to be someone like and that that's yeah. when they like kind of made him like Spock's brother. Yeah, I'm not really sure who who had the final say on that. Like, I, I mean, I, I know what Justin said is is supposedly, you know, apocryphally true, you know, that that Roddenberry didn't like that. Like that, you know, to some degree, you know, pe- you know, people are mostly like, well, clearly Star Trek Five is canon, but because Roddenberry was unhappy with it, it's not like they ever revisited that aspect. You know, it's not like it's not like in uh, I don't know Unity parts one and two. He's like, yeah, me and Cybok, we went way back, bro. You know, or whatever. It's like that just didn't get brought. They just it's like we. we it's basically like the Klingon ridges, right? Like we do not talk about Cybok. You know, like that's that's kind of the notion you got. Do either of you know the story about Gene Roddenberry's like nineteen sixties time travel Star Trek pitch? Is that the one where it, it was like it, Spock goes back and he's on the grassy knoll and he's yep. gonna shoot Kennedy and shit like that? Yeah, I mean, I've I've uh, heard of it. You know. Okay, so Mike, after like Star Trek the motion picture, like uh, a lot of people at the studio kind of blamed Roddenberry for like meddling with the script and for like letting things run over budget crazily. So every movie after that, he was only given like creative consultant or creative executive, you know, some kind of credit like that and probably like a paycheck or something, but they would still send him like scripts and outlines and stuff. And in Shatner's book, uh, Star Trek movie memories, he tells a story about Every time they talk about making another Star Trek film, Roddenberry would always make the same pitch. Uh, There's a time travel accident or something. The Enterprise is sent back to 1963. Uh, Shenanigans happen, and then Spock is the second shooter on the grassy knoll and has to assassinate Kennedy. And all the, like, executives, like, would just shake their head and be like, well, you know, why do you think that's a good story? And like, why do you keep pitching it like time after time? Like they, I don't understand it either. I don't know why he was like so keen on making well, I that think, story. I think, I think that's what comes back to that. Like th- this is what I was about to go into, but because Star Trek five underperformed based on their expectations, that's when the first notion of, in my mind, what turned into J.J. Abrams' Star Trek film was birthed. Because yeah. because th- mm-hmm. at that point, they were like, oh, well, this didn't do as well as we were thinking. Let's do that young recast, like, Starfleet Academy thing with, like, 
you know, Kirk and Spock at Starfleet Academy playing three-dimensional chess or whatever and, and, and do that movie. And so, like, every time you would read Starlog after Star Trek V mm-hmm. came out, they'd be like, oh, the, you know, Starfleet Academy movies in, in pre-production and blah, 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 blah. They have a script. They have this. They have that. And then, you know, instead, you know, it turned into, you know, one last hurrah with the Undiscovered Country, and then it rolled into these next-gen movies. But still... There was always that, you know, hey, well, maybe once all that gets done, you know, maybe once Picard is, you know, maybe once, uh, you know, uh, Patrick Stewart's tired of doing it, you know, like, then, then we can bring back this Starfleet Academy thing again. And, you know, as far as I can tell, or at least from my perspective, like, that found its way into the J.J. Abrams, like, reboot, you know, like, that's mm-hmm. what the whole Kobayashi Maru Starfleet Academy thing was, you know, it's like, they, I mean, it wasn't as it probably was originally intended or visualized or whatever. But I mean, that's, yeah. that, that's what it became. And it's still, you know, pe- these people still cling on to these ideas. Like my, you know, because again, you talk about this being a vanity project for Kirk or, or, or Shatner, right? Like I think the, the funny part about that is the people that say that probably all have their own vanity projects and they were just pissed off that he got to do his. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so, so yeah. it's like, and, and I, I would think that in, in Roddenberry's mind, this was one of his vanity, like, this is going to be so great. And everybody kind of looked at him like, you're fucking nuts. And, or, or it's like, the, the, it's like those things with like Lucas when he's like showing Spielberg around the set of the fucking Phantom Menace. And they're all, oh yeah, look at this. These are great. Steven. And the fucking arms are falling off and everything. And Steven Spielberg is like trying to be nice and not say like how horrible this looks to him, you know, like, and it's just like, that was great. Jar Jar is the key to the movie. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's great, George. That's, that's super like awesome. You know, and it's like, you know, luckily there were a bunch of Larry's there to go. Are you fucking crazy? We're not going to fucking murder John F. Kennedy on screen with Star Trek. Do you want to pollute this whole property? You know, like that's probably <laughs> what they went into where it's like, you know, and, and I think that was probably the same fear with, introducing a a religious aspect to star trek you know kind of saying oh we're gonna find god because it's like i i get what their reservations were because it's like well you can't actually find god right because then then you you know the the fear is then you alienate someone because then if you say that you know say say you know you had turned out to be (laughs) for because we don't know what the hell his name is in these expanded universe novels but say he had turned out to be the you know one true god or something then 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 you've got all these people of different denominations and religions and what have you kind of going hey what the fuck it's not it's not thor it's not odin so now i'm upset right because it's not it's not the vision of my denomination so that thus i am now alienated thus i will not you know support your your star trek franchise anymore and i think that's the to me the semi-justifiable fear which i think in today's day and age, people have seemed to thrown out the fucking window. You know, like now people don't care about offending anybody. They just rate whatever the fuck they want and, and franchise be damned, I guess. Or, or we're just supposed to, you know, s- swallow the fucking shit, the shovel in our mouths or whatever. But, you know, at that at that time, you know, like it, it was, you know, a somewhat legitimate concern and I could see it. But I, I don't think I don't think Shatner had any intention to... Um, to alienate, I, I think he wanted to deal more with the questions, the the universal aspect of it, where it's like it doesn't really matter 
you know, if you believe in the great spirit or if you believe in Yahweh or if you believe in, you know, the, the Judeo Christian God, if you believe in Thor and, and, and Odin and, and, and Norse mythology or, or what have you, like what, what, it doesn't really matter the, what, what matters to him, at least in the context of him wanting to tell this story is like, is there like, you know, is there a God, you know, and, 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 you know, to some people just asking the question, it might be offensive, but to him, he thought it uh, probably was something somewhat of a universal moment where everybody stops and just goes, is this, is this for real? And if it is, can, can we, can we find them? Can we, can we have an understanding of it? You know? And, and I mean, you know, it's interesting because it's kind of like the same thing with the McCoy scene when he's dealing with his pain, I mean, you think it, it comes down to the notion of, you know, oh, well, you know, clearly McCoy, Dr. Kevorkian, his dad, right? So so then, then you're like, oh, well, clearly this film's on the side of that. But the way it all plays out is there was a cure a few days later, and, and he feels like a fucking scumbag for doing it. So it's like they don't really take, I mean, you know, they, they kind of, in some sense, that sequence makes you think like Star Trek is supposed to do, but it doesn't really, uh, uh, you know, judge or or kind of lambast either perspective. It kind of just gives you both of them and kind of says, hey, you know what? The people that, that are in favor of supporting, you know, like, you know, keeping people on, you know, uh, assisted living, you know, it's like that the, the reason why they do that is there's that hope that, you know, there, there is something that will heal them or ail them or take away their pain or whatever. And, and they, that they would still be able to, to live after that. But then, you know, then you have the, the notion of he's not a doctor in that situation. You know, he's, he's his, his father's son. And, and all he wants to do is make the pain stop and he begs him to do it. And, and then you sit there and think, well, if I was in that situation, I would, I would want to do what, you know, my father asked me to do, you know? So it's like, it doesn't, you know, it like, it, it's not really coming down hard on either side, but it is, it is provoking the question, you know, which is, I, I think better than trying to make up your mind for you and, and push whatever side of the question you fall on. It's, it's probably a better practice to just ask the question, let it sit out there and, and let the audience make up its own mind. You know, is, is there a God? Like they don't really come down and say one way or the other, but it seems like the, the notion is, did they find the real God in this movie? No. Is he, uh, or she or whatever, is God something that is personal and in everybody's hearts, you know, and, and, and the person has to look in their own heart and make up their own mind. Right. Like that, that's what it finally seemed to come down to. And in that sense, I, I don't think it alienated. Well, I don't know. I could be wrong. But to me, I, I think that as a final word on it doesn't alienate anybody. I think maybe on Shatner's commentary for the film on the two disc special edition, he mentioned one of his original ideas for the film was, you know, they go to the planet. Uh, Cybok confronts, you know, quote unquote God, and it turns out it's actually the devil. And Shatner said, you know, by finding the devil and finding him, then that must mean that there is God somewhere out there. But he didn't get to do that version of his movie. Mm. 
I mean, it's kind of like, it, it, to me, it's funny. It's like, it, it's like Rob Kelly is always saying about the DC universe. Like you, you have to be a moron to be an atheist in the DC universe. Like, or, or not, I mean, he doesn't really say moron, but basically he's like, his notion is if, if you live in a world with the specter, who's the right hand of God, you know, like, like, and, 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 you know, everybody and their brother has met the specter at one point, you know, if, if there's all these, you know, demons like Etrigan, if you deal with the devil, like you say, if you, if, if you, if, if half of the underworld of DC comics has sold their soul to Neuron, who, who at one point was in charge of hell, then by by that logic, just like the Shatner logic, if you meet the devil, then that must mean that there, you know, there is a heaven and, and God as well, right? So, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, that that's an interesting notion, I guess. I don't know how they would have. I mean, I, I can see the 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 Larrys, the executives, balking at that too. You know, it's like it's like when they tried to do it in the the Ghost Rider comics, where they had like you know Jesus be uh, Johnny Blaze's bro, you know, and everybody was like, well, you can't do that, you know, <laughs> like and 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 that was I think like a Jim Shooter thing where it's like that. No, we can't do that. Cosmic thoughts, gentlemen. Ten forward redressed as like all <laughs> all of, have we talked about that like. That, that that these were all next generation sets redressed for this, you know, the Enterprise A is essentially just the next generation stuff redressed. And then you're like, why did this cost more money than Star Trek Four if they used a bunch of redressed sets? But then I guess maybe at that point they were running out of money. Maybe like they spent all the money on the Spock boots and then they didn't have any money by the time they got the 10 forward. And then they were like, we could just use Whoopi Goldberg's bar. Like that'll work. We they were, they were real functioning jet boots. They were real. That's why that, that's where all the money that, went. That's where all the money went. Not, not the, not the Coke slush fund. It went to the, the jet boots. Yes, obviously. I don't know if those are cosmic thoughts, but those are, those are my thoughts, Justin. <laughs> all right. Well, I, I don't know. Do we do anything else? Any last minute, uh, slam dunks in the hole about Star Trek five or are we, are we good? Uh, I think I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. All right. Like, like Derek, be one with the podcast, Derek. Yeah, I know. I, I, I want my podcast. I need my podcast. (laughs) All right. Well, if you've enjoyed listening to our podcast, if you want to, uh, email us, uh, and, and tell us how to sing row, 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 row your boat, uh, (laughs) <laughs> then you can email us at fanhousepodcast at gmail.com. If you want to uh, go merrily, 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 life is but a dream, then uh, please check out all the backlog of our episodes over on fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. This is our Fanholes Podcast proper show where we've been doing this for, like Mike said, almost like seven or eight years, and we've got a whole backlog of Fanholes proper episodes and in addition to the proper show we've got all kinds of spin-off shows we've got mobile suit mondays toku thursdays transformers tuesdays sentai saturdays we've got big in japan where we talk about anime we've got comics motherfucker do you read them where we talk about comic books and we've got justice not entirely dissimilar to lightning which is a thunderbolts podcast so if you've enjoyed listening to the proper show we hope you consider checking out all the other shows we're on all kinds of social media we're on tumblr twitter instagram Instagram. We're on Facebook. We appreciate all the likes, shares, hearts, tweets, retweets. We're on Twitter. And we can be streamed on Stitcher Radio. And we're on iTunes. Yeah. So until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, signing off.
Hey, it's Mike. Me! And this is Justin signing off. Kapla!
I apologize. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. Where he's like, oh, say you're sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Mikey was sorry. He was sorry. Claw like, sure, I tried sorry. to kill you, but he's sorry. He's sorry. And also, by blowing up that satellite, he made sure Megatron would never find it. Well, <laughs> do you, like, do you think that this, like, I, I don't know how to frame this, but I, I do have that weird notion about this film that I do about the Hugh Borg episode, where, like, by the time you get to the first contact movie and by the time you get to the undiscovered country, you're like, Hey, remember that Hugh Borg episode? Or, Hey, remember in the final frontier when you like, you know, sort of semi made some kind of modicum of peace with a couple Klingons? Like what, why did that go away? Or, or was that not good enough? Like did did that, that was just a blip. And then you went back to like hating Klingons, like absolutely. And you just forgot about Star Trek five, like everybody else or, you know what I mean? Like, 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 cause I, I always thought of it as like the Hugh Borg episode. It was like, if, if Picard really hated the Borg, then he should have just sent Hugh in as a fucking self-destruct and killed them all. But at the end of that, he's like, Oh, I'm better than that. I'm going to play my fucking flute and be happy and let this little Borg douchebag go on his way and make a bunch of weirdo Borgs and have another two-parter with lore and, whatever right like he, he he basically resigned himself to be like i'm not about vengeance i'm i'm gonna let this other guy go off and maybe he'll better the board which didn't work out that way but you know that that that's not picard's fault but then when you get the first contact it's like that borg q episode never happened where he's like fuck the borg you know and he's like throwing his table he's over and all this tommy gun he's like, ah! You know, he's he's basically like in full warpath mode where he's like, no, you know, and he's like ripping out shit in the holodeck and shooting him with fucking Tommy guns. And he's all fucking vengeance, vengeance, vengeance. And like, you know, with with Kirk in, in Undiscovered Country, you know, the way it starts, it's very much the same where he's kind of like, I've never trusted a Klingon. You know, I can't trust a Klingon since they killed my boy. You know, it's like, that's fine. That comes out of the events of Star Trek three. And yes, you wouldn't let go of that grudge very easily. You know, you would still hold on to it and be bitter about it. But I, I, part of me wonders like, didn't this, didn't Star Trek five change any, like that wasn't, you know, I don't know. It just like, it, it seems like there, there's a certain modicum of understanding where it's like they tried to kill him and and then he apologized and then you had the other chancellor there and 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 then at the end they're all you know in Guinan's bar redressed as you know whatever the hell it's redressed as and they're all sitting around the wheel talking about gods in our hearts and they're all drinking you know Scotty gives the chancellor the the what is it the the whiskey or whatever and and you know, even even claws there, do, giving him the Klingon salute, and Kirk kind of, you know, I mean, it, it's not like he's like super respectful, but he kind of goes, "All right, fine, I'll I'll give the young punk the the Klingon salute back." Like, yeah, we're both warriors, okay, whatever. Like, I give you your salute back. I'm not I'm not saying he's got to like go up and give him a hug or something, but like, just kind of talking out loud, I guess. Yeah, like what happened to let them die, like. Right, right. Well, it's it, 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 there was like a little stopgap in between that, right? Like, like you, I could believe let them die right after Star Trek three, but then like there were some other things that happened too. So, you know, in between that, so it's like, how did you, how did you go back to zero when 
you know, you were at least at 60 miles per hour or something in some other movies, you know. See, there's there's a cosmic question. 